Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be De Beer. G'day and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby podcast, the podcast that gets you over the game line in everything to do with Australian rugby, no matter how tenuous that has to be, i.e. the rest of this World Cup that we were once part of. Um, I'm Matt Rowley. I'm your host tonight. Uh, Reg basically pulled a heartilage at the last moment, um, wasn't able to make it onto the pod, uh, but I've got joining me um, as per usual with uh, by uh, Hugh Cavill. Good evening, mate. How's your night, Matt? Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> we're going short and sharp this one by the sounds of things. Sounds like you've got somewhere to go. Um, standing in manfully, as he's done a few times this season, um, I've got Fitzy. Good evening, mate. How are you? Uh, evening, fellas. Yeah, all right. Um, I uh, should warn you, though, at this point, three New South Wales people on the call. It's a commie plot. Clearly, Rugby Australia are, are up to something. Um, <laughs> just letting you know. Yeah, well, every, every, this podcast has always been a shill for the Waratahs. I think everyone knows that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's 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 wholly funded by it. Uh, yeah, I got of... the I got the memo. That's good. Yeah, great. All right. Can um, I start with an unsolicited question slash discussion? Oh, um, can we stop you? <laughs> it was just like, well, why aren't we watching a plate or a bowl tournament going on now? You know, why can't I watch yeah. Georgia against Uruguay or Fiji yeah. against Samara or something? You know, it feels a bit of a waste to be almost the tournament in a sense fizzles out. You know, we've got only one game this weekend and, and whilst two. Well, two games, but you know, one that really matters. And, and, and I don't know, I feel like, I wonder if world rugby's looked at it because logistically it'd be hard, but God, I, I feel a bit starved of rugby now. Yeah. And is it is it it's top three from each pool qualify automatically for next time, right? So yeah. so I'm wondering what this third place game actually does. Is this seedings? Does it does it gives a top four in each pool? But uh, they move to yeah. rankings. Next World Cup are done on world rankings in like a two yeah. years time. Two years out, yeah. So oh. uh, is forty eight's a better number than forty seven games? Look, look, I'm totally with you there, Hugh, in that I think where we've got to now is like uh, the quality of the rugby is great to watch. I mean, it's not like you're watching someone get absolutely munted. Um, and, you know, when the smaller in inverted comma nations play each other, they're playing good stuff. Um, and also that's probably the half of the tournament we're going to be in next time. So uh, <laughs> oh, too soon. Um, but but even, uh, yeah. even then, did we see a single score of 70? I think the box put 68 on Namibia. Mm. I think the All Blacks got to 70 or 80 against Canada. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. Yeah. Right. But but we haven't seen 100 points no. in no. a long time. So, no. yes, definitely the quality is getting better and the the, the semi-pro teams are getting better than yeah. Uruguay. Totally. You're, like you're Uruguay. seeing upsets, right? You know, Uruguay mm. doing Fiji, things like that. It was it was good stuff. So i Totally with you there, and and you're talking about the, I mean, logistics, but it, that feels manageable, and surely it's just more coin for the RFU, isn't it? Just you know, more games to televise and more, you know, tickets. Even if you started a, instead of quarterfinals, just went straight to semis for the the third place teams in every pool, and just went right, you're straight into elimination, and you'll finish the week 
before the big show and get rid of that stupid third place game. Yeah, no one wants that third place game. It's a shocker. No. Um, so, uh, Hugh, you're onto something, mate. <laughs> yes, well, that's that was just a bit of a side discussion, but we we can move on to the main the main just, course now. Just more rugby genius. All right, if we can get onto the real the real questions, um, slightly truncated tonight because uh, well, the Wallabies are out of the World Cup. Uh, first one, we'll have a bit of a meander, but we're going to get to England versus South Africa. What are our predictions? Um, and I guess what's kind of the undertone in that is, will it go the way that maybe Warren Gatlin suggested in that, you know, quite often the big whoever has the big game in the semis doesn't pull it out in the uh, in the grand final? Is that what we think? Uh, that's question number one. Question number two, All Blacks loss, blip or bigger problems? Uh, number three, um, and then who the hell is going to be the next Wallabies coach? Sounds like there's been some developments even since I last caught up on that. And then any other sort of around the grounds. Um, let's kick off. Uh, I mean, what, what, let's go through these um, two matches um, over the weekend. Uh, maybe we don't do them. Well, no, let's, let's do them in order because I think we'll probably go harder on the first one. Um, Saturday night, it was England um, against the All Blacks. Um, it was Titanic. Um, Hugh, what 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 did you take from it? What what did you think of it as a match? Oh, it, it was an amazing match, and, and it had the the intensity of, of a final. It, it it was you know generally one of the best games of rugby I've seen in, in terms of the physicality, the skill, um, you know the uh, you know the way it was officiated even by Nigel Owens. I mean it, it was it was a really great exhibition for the game, and and um, it was fantastic to watch. Um, you know, much has been made of, of Eddie Jones and, and the the coaching of this England side, and I think that really came to the fore. That that forward pack w- was just outstanding um, to a man. And I think the thing that we've seen occasionally with this All Black side is they can be rattled. Um, and we saw it in Perth, and we've seen it a few times over the last four years. Um, but it's a it's a rarity, and I think after the Ireland result, we thought, well, that might be something that we don't see this World Cup, and they, those sort of days might be behind them. But it turns out, you know, especially in that first 10 to 15 minutes, um, you know, the the, the uh, English came out and hit them right between the eyes. And mm. and even then, you thought when they scored that try off the line out um, New Zealand to bring it back to I think what was must have been 15-7 at the time. And even then, with 20 minutes to go, you thought, oh, they're going to pinch this here. They'll score some arsy try off a turnover um, or or charge down or an intercept or something. And or all a of a sudden, refereeing call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There'll be a dodgy, you know, Farrell will get yellow carded for a shoulder charge or something, and and all of a sudden you'll look up and the score will be, you know, 22 to to 15, and and New Zealand would have won. But it, it just never it never came, it never happened. Um, yeah. And England just just kept that pressure on, and and in the end should have won by more, should should have won by 20 or 30. The amount yeah. of position no, this, territory the, they had. And that was, mall, was, that mall try that was disallowed, and they had another one, I think. Yeah. No, this is. The, the scoreline actually flattered the All Blacks um, by far. And if you think about it, the only time the All Blacks looked like getting close to any points, you know, even penalty-wise, um, was an overthrown English line-out. I mean, it was literally an own goal. Um, the All Blacks never, ever really pressured them. It was it was quite phenomenal. Um, Fitzy... Yeah. What- I think the All Blacks came out with a similar game plan to what they were going to do to 
what they did to the box. But they just didn't have enough possession. Um, and England defended a lot better on the edges. So so the way I saw it breaking down was 20 minutes of settling into the game and then 20 minutes, like they did with the box, of just keeping the ball alive and trying to tire England out. Um, I think probably in, in terms of that impressive uh, impressiveness of the English pack, their fitness has come on a lot. That, that side we beat silly in 2015, there were a lot of unfit guys there and um, not even not even physically I think just mentally not ready for that kind of pressure but England <clears throat> I said this on Twitter but England are a side they not going to be the most creative mob um, their premiership doesn't really allow for that kind of development they've gotten better but everyone knows the role everyone executes their role and when you tack on those two young open sides to their big boshy pack and and put two fairly mobile Second row is in there. I mean, Tojo's not the biggest bloke, but he gets around. Uh, I, I just think that 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 Eddie Jones hallmark of everyone has the role and this is the thing they do, and they've got enough talent to, to execute it. The All Blacks didn't get enough ball. What they had, they, they pretty much chucked away or kicked away because when they went to the edges, it was very slow and they just couldn't get the penetration they wanted. You get the feeling maybe they were missing a crotty in midfield. It's a very young backline, like very young, considering the last two World Cup campaigns where they had a lot of caps out there. So I think I think that's you know the ABs we we you know respect them for their attention to the basics, but I just think England out basicked them if that's even a, a word. They yeah. um they really did a number on them in close. All Blacks went to the edges and found there was no respite there. And, um, you know, that, that probably is a reflection of them being a bit – the last few years they've been a bit tinny, you know. They, they've had Bowden Barrett kick a ball that lands 50 centimetres from touch and bounces into his hands for him to score a try. Like, you know, that kind of crap that gets you so far. But once you're getting pounded in close and, and England have just added a couple of little variations under Eddie, that's game over. Mm. It does. Well, look, it does recast the the last two years, doesn't it, Fitzy? I mean, that, that your point's pretty valid. Like, you know, in essence, this World Cup, in many ways, is a, you know is a bit of a referendum on the last two years. And it turns out, you know, Australia were probably not as good as we thought we might have been after you know with a few good games in the last couple of years. But but maybe the All Blacks might be a little bit better than we, th- um, sorry, a bit worse than we thought. And I actually. Agree. Those moments that we thought were were outliers, that the Perth games, the losses to the Springboks and Ireland, um, you know, and and you know, even being run close by Argentina, these games we thought, oh well, this is just bumps in the road for them, and they'll they'll come good, and and even you know this World Cup they've seemed pretty untroubled and flogged Ireland, um, in in a really polished performance, and and so you thought, oh. Well, it's the same team as it was in 2015, as it probably was in 2011. You know, this All Blacks team is 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 that is that team. Yeah. Um, and now with that loss, it probably wasn't. You know, it it's probably um, in many ways, you know, enhances the legacy of that 2015 team and probably that era of the All Blacks, which you could say it's probably in the rear vision mirror now. They're still fantastically good as a rugby team, but. But then, just not to that level that they once were. And I think that's why that confirmed. Leadership is a big part of that, and um, you know, when you compare Kieran Reid's captaincy to McCaw's, I think there are stark differences when they come under pressure. Um, Reid tends to be a bit. 
there's no nice way to put this, but he's a bit more of a whiner than McCaw was. McCaw was just up to the ref going, oh, that's a standard now. Yep, sure, no worries. And just go back and get on with it. Reed likes to argue the point. And, and it's, you know, we've seen him sniping at Hooper and, and other opposition captains, you know, having a bit of a mouth off at times. And I think that doesn't fit the stoic Kiwi captain, you know, Lanton Jord narrative that they try to wrap around their leadership. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I thought um, in, a, in a lot of ways the um, – you want to say that England sort of out-all-black the all-blacks in sort of the attention to detail, um, you know, pressuring, you know, turning up and showing, you know, great set piece, great um, – like I say, a, a lot of the small things. But it, I, I actually thought England did better in, in, the, in those places than, you know, the all-blacks have been recently and then – the bit that you guys touched on, which if you now look back on it, you kind of think those times when the All Blacks have kind of, you know, have lost. So you go back to the 2003, you know, when they had, you know, Carlos Spencer. And, you know, what was it Eddie said? You know, he does interesting things under pressure. Um, mm. And then and suddenly we've got, you know, you know, Bowden Barrett was doing very, very well at 10. Um, probably his only weakness was his goal kicking. Um, but actually as a playmaker, as somebody who was a threat, as someone who could pass, um, as someone who could who could kick out of hand, he was very, very good. You'd have to say that Mwanga at super level and in a test match when he's not under the pressure, in some ways can outplay that in terms of, um, you know, those... I think he's spe- a bit steadier. Th- those, those, but also showing some Spencer-esque touches. But I think he, what what we found was, and this is what we saw in Perth on retrospect, is when the defence can really get in, in in his face and shut down options, shut down those outside options. And that was the gamble, or should I say the plan that England executed so beautifully. Those those shooting tackles um, up into midfield. There was one time where I swear I saw Tuolangi run about 25 metres to make a spot tackle onto a forward. And, you know, those times when they were catching those guys as they were catching the ball, mm. which ab- absolutely stopped and actually pushed, you know, seeing All Blacks going backwards, seeing Underhill literally picking people up and driving them backwards 10, 15 yards. You just don't expect to see that. Um, and that's what England did so well. And that just completely turned the game around. And then to your guys' points, leadership started to crumble because it's just not something that, that they know how to do. And to me, that just looked like hubris. And everyone going on now about Barrett at six, it's an interesting point. He, you know, he didn't lose them the game, but the fact that you think you can do that against that England back row who have actually showed themselves to probably be one of the better back rows on the ground um, and around the ground and you think you can put a second row out there against them um, is very, very interesting. And well, not a only very that, hard lesson. but it backfired in the line-out. Their line-out was, as, it was Anton Oliver-esque. It was mm. just that bad. Like three or four throws in the first half went astray or were under serious pressure. And, you know, people have been calling us out for you. Oh, you can't play two open sides. Line out's too short. It's like, well, you know, they're no shrinking violets, those two young fellas, Underhill and Curry. But, you know, what what were they missing in the line out with those two there? Nothing. Mm. It's like, you know, the spot tackles is a good point, but the line-out's another one. It's like England could read their minds. They knew where the ball was going, mm-hmm. and they just kept hitting that spot. 
The, the the defense is an interesting point that you mentioned, Matt, because I mean I agree that that was that accuracy in defense and that rush defense was was just the winning and losing of the game for mine to be to be brutally honest, and and that physicality, um, which in 2019 at the World Cup is a very risky strategy, because you know some of those tackles by Underhill by Tui Lange, those upright tackles, the lifting tackles. Um, you know, those those really, really hard tackles. You've only got to get it half an inch wrong, you know, and either you've got a tip tackle or you've got a high tackle and someone's going to the bin. And and and, and it, it was a real sort of put the cards on the table kind of strategy from Eddie Jones. And I think it obviously paid off um, given the result, but it was, well, I think it was it, so I, risky too. I, I mean, the, and, and then the other thing was normally – you know, especially thinking back to like a Dan Carter or Blacks, or even lately with a, probably with a Barrett uh, led backline, we've we've tried that strategy against the All Blacks that rush defence, and they'll find a way to get around you. They'll put a grubber in behind, they'll throw a long pass, they'll use second man runners, or they'll throw to a decoy, um, and and they find a way. They really work through it and work it out. And you might catch it behind the game line a few times, but they'll get behind you, and all of a sudden they're 50 metres downfield. And I was waiting for that to happen on Saturday night. I was waiting, when are the All Blacks going to actually work this out and start picking them off? And they never did. Richie Mwanga was completely, um, you know, uh, struck deer down by the occasion. Yep. He was deer in the headlights. And so he was throwing intercept passes. He was ki- he was trying to kick, but the kicks were astray. They were aimless, you know, and, and kicking on attack as well, giving away ball. It, it, it was a real sort of litany of issues, but all caused by guys like Maru Atoji, uh, uh, Tuilangi, um, Underhill, uh, um, and Farrell really putting the heat on those those all black runners. And, and it was it was phenomenal to to keep that at level of effort for 80 minutes like they did was 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 truly phenomenal. Yeah. And I think you you say he put the cards on the table. I think in these finals, the refs have put the cards in the pocket. Yeah. Can anyone honestly <laughs> I think tell that's right. that um, the Beast wasn't going to get a red if that happened three weeks ago on that, that um, mm. tip tackle he had? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, all great points. Their intensity, and that's why I talk about their fitness. You know, it's great. It's much easier to play a game when everything's going right. Um and you're not chasing it. We, England have got the wheels on the outside to stop the uh, stop the All Black breakaways anyway. But and they showed that by nullifying the chip kicks and the short chipping, uh, short kicking game um, in midfield as well. They just read it and executed. So um, right, then give me your um, top players. So who's who stood out to you? Um, Carrie and Underhill done. <laughs> you've well, you've you've picked two. I'll give you I'll give you Underhill. Um, they've oh, been oh. phenomenal, haven't they? I mean, yeah I, yeah. I mean, it's hard to go back. I throw a, a Tajay in. I think he's he's hit that form that we saw a couple of years ago when he really came onto the scene um, against the Wallabies. Really, um, it was yeah. in that in that series. But um, yeah, and he sort of dipped a little bit after that. I think he couldn't quite get that back. And I I think we found that where he's sort of you know, and now England play this back. You know, these four players, especially with. Um, Curry and Underhill, Laws and Atoje, and they, they all play like, you know, sevens and sixes really, but they've got that height and that physicality. It's 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 truly scary. Yeah, I mean, you could have picked pretty much anyone out of that pack, couldn't you? They all had monstrous running games. Um, B- Billy Vinopola, you know, turned shitball into good whenever he got hold of it. Um, uh, look, I'd even say the halfback pairing. I thought Youngs, as usual. Um, Jeezy steps up in great games. I never understand uh, 
the Poms, including the Egg Chasers, have question marks over him. He always seems to stand up in big games. I even thought Ford looked good. Um, and I've never been overwhelmed by him. But in the big game, they all stood up. And then you got Farrell's, you know, never seems to miss, between, you know, kicking for the post. So it was a real all-round performance. Um, but that, I, yeah. that steadiness in midfield from Farrell mm. and the forward pack is what New Zealand didn't have. You know, you maybe even throw a Crotty or a Ben Smith or someone out there. I think it just steadies things up. You lose a bit of pace. You use a, lose a bit of exuberance. But you gain a lot of leadership and, and you know, just puts a stake in the ground for that back, back line. And, and that's what England did. Yeah. So, look, we've luxuriated in England versus uh, New Zealand. Um, South Africa, Wales. Boxing, uh, boxing. Yes, a slightly different match, that one. Um, go on, then, Fitzy, what was, your, what was your take on this one? I think that could have been a very different game if Garces had bothered with refereeing last feet. I think yeah. there was a metre or more missing at pretty much most rucks, um, and that well, it didn't force both teams into a don't-lose mentality, but I think they went out there with that, knowing it would be tight. But I just think it could have been a little more open. Wales needed tries to win that game. There was no way they were going to do that on penalty kicks alone because the box had just got too much firepower. Um, I thought they should have attacked Mapimpi's wing a bit more. But, look, the conditions are a bit blustery, and I think the, the box kick was just – it paid dividends for both teams at various points. Um, just that the, the box out-arm wrestled them, and, and that's all you can say. And now we've got Garces – uh, doing the big dance, haven't we? Is that uh, what happened today? Yes, indeed we do. And Skeen on and TMO. And on the desk. Nice. Obviously proved his worth. Um, Hugh, what did you take out of this one? <laughs> I'll defend did you, uh, defend Ben Skeen because I actually put the boot check, into check. it on Twitter. But then someone fairly rightly pointed out that the other three TMOs at the tournament are all either Brits or Saffers. So um, he might be the last man standing. Um, either way... Um, yeah, look, it was a shit ass game. I mean, after after talking up New Zealand, England, I mean, uh, you fitting now. I mean, both sides were just trying desperately not to lose, and the box kick is, you know, for whatever reason, it's it's just it's an effective strategy if you get it right. It always has been, but uh, it seems like when both sides are so intent on doing it like that, um, I, I, I feel like it's um yeah, it, it's pretty ugly sort of rugby. I and, feel like and, if we outlawed the caterpillar ruck. I'd yeah. be happy to leave the box kick where it is. That's it. That's it. I, I think, and that's the problem now is it's it's becoming too effective because of that. That that halfbacks have been given the half a second that they probably shouldn't have, and half a meter too. Mm-hmm. Um, from in, you, you don't see them get charged down anymore off that. Um, but yeah, look, I, I was disappointed in in both teams. I think I, I think they've both got the attacking ability, and it was a bit of a shame for them not really to get the car out of the garage. But, um, you know, South Africa have been spluttering um, the last couple of weeks and, and really um, have have done what they needed to do, and, and they find themselves in a World Cup final. It's, it's in many ways a bit similar to, to the situation we were in four years ago. You sort of look up and go, I'm not sure they're the second-best team in this tournament, but, but there they are. Um, and the the key difference being we didn't drop a pool game. We actually played well in the pool games. But um you know, South Africa dropped dropped one obviously to the All Bucks. But um yeah, it's it's um it, it's pretty um yeah, look, it, it was a depressing sort of game that I turned off for large parts to be honest, and I came back and watched the last ten minutes when I saw it was close, but um I don't think it would be um 
you know, I, I won't remember one minute of that game, uh, even a week from now. I think it's one of the most forgettable semi-finals in the history. Uh, going back to maybe I think it was England France in 2007, which I remember being horrible. But um, mm. yeah. That, that was a, that was a very kicky World Cup though. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, well they, yeah, that, they were doing the um, Jake Ball, weren't they, South Africa? Um, mm. uh, look, I, yeah, I mean, it was it was a shocking game. I actually thought South Africa by far had the better run of the game, and I just couldn't believe like they've done for the rest of the tournament. You're looking at Wales, going, how are you still there? Um, you know, outside of the odd sort of nine intercept, you know, sniping run from something. You have zero creativity or capability of creating anything. You seem to shut down the closer you get to a line, and yet you manage to stay within three points of whoever you're playing against um, and, and, and get ahead of Australia, obviously. Um, so, you know, clearly better than us. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I just thought, still I would have thought, even in that dirge of a game, I thought South Africa deserved to be further ahead than they were throughout the match. Um, fascinating that that's what they felt they needed to kind of descend to because I think we've all seen that this South African team play amazing attacking rugby when they want to. And there was a few times in that second half where it looked like Andre Pollard decided this is getting crazy. We just need to get ahead of these guys and get a, a try on the board and suddenly started running and it all looked a lot better. Um, but yeah. then they kind of, then they went back into their shells. Um, so yeah, look, um, it looked close. Just all I can say is thank God there was an extra time. So we didn't have another extra, uh, whatever it would have been 10, 20 minutes of that crap. Uh, yeah. Snipers. Well, oh, can I again, pivot the discussion a little bit because this isn't a Australian rugby podcast. I mean, uh, obviously the, the the chips have fallen how they how they have, and it's funny. I mentioned the 2015 World Cup, where a lot of people now looking back and go, "Well, you know, if if we we got lucky against Scotland and maybe we were lucky to get to the final." Do you look at this World Cup and think, in a in a in a sort of similar vein, we scored one late try against Wales and we could be in the final this week, couldn't we? I mean, uh, no, because the box would have crushed us. You reckon? <laughs> I reckon. That, you look at that game and you go. I don't think the box, you know, were, were only really just put Japan away. I mean, okay, they, they won by a couple of tries in the end, but, I mean, they were by no means convincing in that quarterfinal. They, they, I'd say, were by no means convincing in the semifinal. I'm not I'm trying to hear argue we're a sensational team that deserved to be in the final, but just that these things are on narrow, very narrow margins. And, I, I, you know, Absolutely. there's a world where we win, we beat Wales, um, and all of a sudden, you know, we... we some French bloke, you know, elbows us in the head in the in the fifth minute, and then all of a sudden we're in that game against South Africa, and uh, and you know, I could see us getting in a wrestle with the Saffirs and winning, you know, maybe maybe fifty percent of the time. Yeah, I I look at that game and I sort of agree with you, Hugh. I look at the game we played against England and I disagree completely. Yeah. So let's get to the point on this question then. Predictions: England versus South Africa. Right. I think to set the context here, the question is. You know, if we're assuming South Africa thought that's the way to win a semi-final, surely they think that's going to be the way to win a final. So you assume they're going to go out and kick the leather off the ball again. What's England going to do? And is it going to win for them or are they going to crumble underneath it? So, Hugh, what do you reckon? Oh, I mean, I think as much as I hope that this is a, this is a free-flowing game and an advertisement for the game, it doesn't look that way. I mean, Gar says being the referee, um, England are going to, 
broadly play that physical game. They will be. I don't think they will be as heavy on the box kick as what we saw in that Wales South Africa semi final. I think they'll look to control territory a little bit more. They'll use a bit, bit more ball in hand and that phase play that we see than them putting through in, especially in the forwards. Um, but you know, it's it's going to be a a, a a pretty stereotypical battle between these two forward dominated sides. They're going to just try and beat the living daylights out of each other. And whoever's left standing at the 80, 80th minute will be the one holding the trophy. In terms of my prediction, I'm a bit torn on this one because the the Australian in me wants England to lose. And, and a part of me wants South Africa to win, for, you know, obviously my anti-England feeling and, like, like, you know, I've got some English friends who I'd love to see disappointed. Um, but at the same time, I've got to say, like, South Africa don't deserve to win this World Cup. You know, they, they they haven't had any stretches of dominance in the last four years, really. They haven't looked uh, like a world championship side. Um, I think England have been clearly the standout team of the Cup. They've produced the performance of the World Cup this week. They've been a standout side for the last four years, even if they haven't won every Six Nations um, or been the number one ranked side. Uh, I mean, I, I the evidence is pretty clear that I think England can win this game and should win this game and, and, and will win this game. I reckon they'll get up um, by 22 points to nine. Mm. Righto. Uh, Fitzy? I find that very interesting commentary based on the fact England hadn't beaten Scotland in the last two years, haven't been Six Nations champions, um, have looked very wobbly against against a lot of the the home nations. Um, I'm speaking over, I suppose, more of a four-year period. Yeah, look, look I'm not saying they've been poor, but I am. And look, where they were in 2015, they come a long way. But I, I would say, look, I'll back the Southern Hemisphere on this one. Um, South Africa, no, they haven't looked great. They are the rugby championship title holders. Um, they did pull off a very good draw against New Zealand and Wellington. Um, playing some of that creative rugby that we've, we know they can. Um, I would find it hard to go past England on form, but it's a final. And I remember 2007 in the kickiest World Cup ever and the, the dire, the dire rugby that those two nations produced to eventually crown South Africa winners. And I just think maybe England haven't really, I mean, they skipped a match, um, potentially a banana skin. I think Eddie's going to change tactics again a little. I don't think it's going to look like the New Zealand game because they'll be expecting something different from South Africa. I think Rassi will actually bring something a little different to that semi-final into the final, and I think we might see a bit more attacking conditions pending. Um, I would back South Africa to get up in a narrow one um, with a bit more openness than what they played with in the semi-final. It, it, it's hard to tell without knowing who they're picking on the bench. They've picked a monster bench, and I think the, the height-weight difference between them and Japan for for the, the back five, so back row and second row, was 10 kilos and 10 centimetres per man. Um, so, you know, if they don't pick Mostert on the bench, maybe they're going a bit more mobile. Um, yeah, South Africa in a close one. I would say uh, I, I'm, I like the number 22. Let's say 22 to 19, South mm. Africa. Well, we're all in a in a range there. I, I, um, whilst I don't think England are going to be able to pull out another performance like that, and I think it's going to be a bit Eddie Jones-like where 
you know, they were, that was the, I do think that was their final and that was the game they've been living for. I think that's why they've only played New Zealand once in the last five years. I think everything has been constructed towards that semi, that semi final. Having said that, I don't think that means they'll completely collapse. I just don't think they'll be able to produce quite the intensity of game that should have seen them beat the All Blacks by, I don't know, 30 to nil is, mm. is what, how that game should have gone. Um, I think, therefore, yeah, I think it's going to be closer. I think the box are going to play a classic, you know, um, sort of nine-man rugby like they did this last weekend and we'll keep it bloody close. But I think just because the Poms are looking so complete across the park, there is pretty much no position where you look at them and you go that you think they're weak. Um, I think that is a very very complete team to do what they need what they need it to do plus they've got fantastic kickers i, I agree the springboks you know that they're not they're not bad either i just reckon the poms maybe like i'm going to go for 21 17 so just outside of a penalty goal by the end um is how i see that one Select, uh, selections are going to be key if colbin if um What's his name? Cheslin Colby's good. D. Lindo played a great game in the midfield. I think they're going to get to the edges faster than the All Blacks did because they've got more experience in the middle, and I think that's probably where they put the pressure on England. England's backs, uh, I think defensively, Mapimpi's a weakness and Daly's a weakness, so selections are everything this week, I think. Mm-hmm. Righto. So then let's move on to question number two. Um, the AB's loss, is it a blip or is it bigger problems? I think we touched on this in question one. Hugh, you want to give that, give that one a wrap up? Yeah, look, I think I think it probably is, a, is symptomatic of probably a wider decline, a longer decline. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to really fall back to the pack massively, but they're going to have a new coach now and, and they're going to embark on a bit of bit of a rebuild too i mean obviously they're they've got plenty of talent there um and i you know they're not going to have a huge exodus at the end of the world cup um losing a you know guys like sonny b williams um, yeah you know that, that'll happen but um you know it's not like they're going to have you know all these guys walking out and they've discovered plenty of new talent in this world cup guys like Sever reese uh, i think Artie Savi has been a standout um as well um so yeah they've got that that talent there but i think this broadly signifies that they're the era of, of that unassailable dominance, you know, of them being world number one by a margin is, is, is ended. And now they're just one of the, one of a good, a good rugby nation and they might be number one again, but I don't think they'll be untouchable as they were. Mm, fascinating change. If that's kind of where it goes to. Hopefully let's hope. To to echo that Matt Gitto's tweet this week pretty much said it all. You know, it's like, okay, yep, they had a loss. Um, I'm sure they're devastated. But let's remember, the reason that the whole of the world is getting better is because they had to do something. Because mm. just, oh, they're the All Blacks is not no longer an excuse. And so England proved that. South Africa did well. We gave them a hiding. Um, yeah, and it comes back to, yes, it is a wider issue. And I think that tinniness and that leadership Questions over that leadership are, are justified. Uh, I just also think probably, you know, Hanson's time is is up and collision of minor factors, just unintended consequences. And, um, you know, they've, they've not had the winning years they had 
leading into 2015 and then a couple beyond that. Um, uh, you know, the, the loss of those combinations is key, the ageing of some of their players and, yeah, you know, the, that, that back line two years from now, if they keep them together, they'll all be two years older, two years more experienced and probably start putting 50 points on us again. It's it's hard to tell, but, yeah, the talent's there and the systems are there. They'll um, go home and lick their wounds. Well, which is why we are ready for a coach change, um, which, as we now know, thankfully, is most definitely happening. There's been shitloads of chat going on. The last I'd heard, and where I was up to, so Hugh might have to give me a bit of an update here, but the last I'd heard was... You know, they did the old, oh, yeah, we're going to do a global search, i.e. <laughs> get to the end of the car park. Um, <laughs> a global search of Moore Park. Yeah, exactly. Um, a global search of Dave for Dave Rennie's phone number um, in the mobile and then give him a call. Because um, so, it sounded like he was a shoe-in. Um, and then there's been lots of chat, obviously. Everyone's going, hey, you know, we need to get Eddie back now. Look, he, you know, yeah. they've had this they've had, they've had, had this one game, proves that he should be the next coach. But, but this sounds like there might have been, and it sounded like that, you know, that was probably just media convo and that Rennie was still going to be the man. But sounds like you might have a bit of an update. Well, there's just an, an article today. I don't know how much um, intelligence this is based on, but, you know, I, th- I think it stands to reason that now with Steve Hansen moving on from the All Blacks that the uh, New Zealand Rugby Union are casting a, a net for potential coaches and Dave Rennie's on that list. Um, and he's going to be competing with, you know, guys like Scott Robinson, guys like um, you know, Ian Foster, um, current, the current assistant coach, uh, Jamie Joseph. But um, certainly the, uh, the, the idea that Dave Rennie was, is a shoe-in is probably – you know, with that article might might seem a bit more unlikely because if he you feel like if he has to choose between the All Blacks job and the Wallabies job, um, you know, you think as an as a New Zealander it'd be pretty obvious to suggest which one he might choose. So given a lot of our coaches that we we were potentially looking at are New Zealanders, um, it, it might delay the process a bit because you think we might end up with 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 the dregs of the All Black coach search if if Eddie Jones doesn't. Um, miraculously turn his back on the RFU, which which is not impossible, but um, it seems like it it uh, you know the the most likely scenario for that to happen would be a disappointing semi final loss, and and it might have seen him out the door. But now it seems like in a weird way the thing, the situation that might see Eddie come back is if England win uh, the World Cup, and it sort of he might want to walk out on top of, on top in England, and and uh, and I don't think they'd stop him from going. So. Yeah, then then it, he's left to to think about what he might want to do next. But um, yeah, it's it's the situation seems a little bit more murky than it might have been a week ago. Mm. Well, I was just going to go on the on the Eddie Jones bit, which is that I'm not sure that the concept that he would even think about taking another coaching job makes sense. Um, especially if he wins the World Cup. So let's just assume that he does that. If he doesn't, then I think there's unfinished business. Um, and and again, and if I think if he doesn't, I think that's just sort of handover period time. Um, but if he, especially if he does win it, what's left to do? Like, like, oh, what you need to win it with the Wallabies? Why do that? You, for the same reason you just talked about, Hugh, you, you just go out and you go, I've done it. He's in his late fifties. Um, he's already done pretty well. I mean, he's probably been being paid more than a million pounds a year for the last was it five six years. 
Um, but he is about to go, if he wins that, he's about to go into superstar um, sort of business talk boards. He's already on the board of Goldman Sachs or something like that, I believe, or is he some sort of advisory capacity? Um, he is going to make so much more money. He'll be able to make so much more money in three months a year than he would as the, 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 the RA would be able to afford him at. I mean, check is on like $1.2 million. Um, Jones will be able to make that in a quarter. Um, like easily, like probably a few times over with where he's about to head to. And he basically doesn't need to think about coaching another team. Um, again, he's, and he's got a world cup under his belt and he gets to go out as a winner. Um, so yeah, I just, I think there's a really good chance that we're kind of deluding ourselves as we think, oh no, there's still, there's still this burning desire for him to coach the Wallabies in the mess with RA, the mess that it's in. Um, that he'd want to pick that up and go with it. I mean, the reason it's worked with, worked with England was because actually Lancaster, the whole place wasn't that far off. Um, it just didn't have the right, you know, the, the right people at the top of it. They'd been doing a lot of the hard work for quite a few years, um, and he kind of he kind of walked into that. So, yeah, I don't know. I just I think our this expectation that he's even gettable is probably sadly deluded. Um, and so then the next thing is, you know, who are we talking about at else otherwise? Um, the only thing I thought I heard about Rennie was that he actually was a bit of a – I thought he was a bit of a black sheep, so to speak, into that he'd fallen out with the NZRU, um, maybe because he'd had a go at um, Canterbury or something like that. I thought I – Yeah, well, the word is they've done, had a bit of an admin change there and that he might now not be have you know not be on the shit list over there apparently. So it, okay. it – there's been changes around. Uh, I'll, I'll, can I get, throw one Eddie Jones scenario at you, though, Matt? I, right. I appreciate you saying what you have. What if he's just an Aussie who wants to see the Wallabies do well? I think that's our only real hope is that he is <laughs> still has that desire to get the Wallabies to the top because he's an Australian and, 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 you know, it's still kind of in his blood. Do you, I mean, do you think there's a chance of that? <sighs> Mate, you'd have to know him, I guess. Um, I don't know. It just sounds like a lot of freaking heartache. Um, and at the end of the day, he's a professional coach who's, you know, been happy. He's, he's done the he's done the Wallabies gig. He knows what that looks like. He's done it. Box ticked. Got to a semi final. Is it really about? Got to a final. Yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah. Got to the final and was. Well, within, and yeah. would he would he work for Scott Johnson too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And that's a question. Like if Rennie, as you said before, Rennie gets offered, oh mate, come work for the All Blacks for 700k, or come work the Wallabies for 800k. It's like, do I have to deal with your back office? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. All Blacks job, thanks. Mm. I'll see you well, later. Yeah. Uh, and this is going to be the big thing about. There's a lot of talk. Eddie, Eddie, we can forget. You know, he wins this thing, they'll roll out the red carpet. He might have a go at another Grand Slam next year, and then call it quits for the Six Nations. Um, but it's not who's best for the job. It's who you're going to convince to come to Australia and and have a go at this. Um, there's a few Kiwis on the list, and did that story today that New Zealand are now thinking about it. Well, that could just be speculation. I I don't think we want to rush into it, as Morgan Turanui put in his article this week. Uh, but this is this <laughs> this Aussie coaching appointment is the cryptocurrency of world rugby, right? You know. It, if you wait, maybe you'll do well. If you don't wait, if you buy now, maybe you'll do even better. It, nobody knows. And like you said, we don't want to be left with the dregs, but neither do we want to rush into a decision and then find out that they're not going to get on with either the hierarchy or the coaching hierarchy or, or the, the, 
the provincials. It's a tough gig. And then you hear in New South Wales that maybe um, Andrew Hawes going as well. It's not a great time for stability. Mm. Well, I, I'm, I'm just still – either of you guys convinced yet that Dave Rennie's got this almighty um, record that shows that not having any international experience is a good idea for, for being head coach of the Wallabies? Because I still haven't been – apart from – you know, the, all these Kiwis love coming out in the media to tell us that we should feel lucky that he might deign to, um, you know, take the Wallabies job. But I must admit, I'm still not, I'm still not convinced he'd off, offer anything oh. over Scott Johnson. Well, oh, no, I think he's better than Scott Johnson. But the the, you know, the the issue is that there might just there might not be anyone else out there. You know, he he might he might be the only one on the dance floor for us. I'll do it. Well, <laughs> no, we're, I think we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I'm sure cheaper. the three of us can can, but you know uh, Jamie Joseph might you know seems to be either ending up with Japan or or the All Blacks. Joe Schmidt seems like he doesn't want to coach anymore. Gatlin signed to the Chiefs. I mean, there's I, I don't know. There's this mythical perfect coach that might just might not exist. And then if Rennie goes to the All Blacks, then then what do we got? Then we're looking at the Bernie Larkins or the you know really um, Dan McKellar or. or what you would call real second-tier sort of solutions. So I, I don't know. At this stage in time, I think the fact that Rennie's getting interest from the All Blacks is probably a good thing for his reputation and speaks to his, you know, the, the regard in which he's held, which can only be a good thing if, if he's going to be on our list. But you know that All Blacks are always total pricks about this stuff. I mean, remember when um, – remember the shenanigans that were going on when we were looking at, um, you know, Rob, Robbie Deans? Deans, Yeah. You know, Deans was—they were never going to touch him. Like he was, it was clear that he wasn't the choice. You know, it was going to be Henry, but they just wanted to—they were just trying to eke that out and, you know, yeah. and draw it out and, and and close down that as an option uh, for the Wallabies. Um, yeah, but got just, over that World Cup thing in 2003, did they? <laughs> I know it was a, it was a pure, pure spoiling tactic. Um, so okay, look, I don't think we're any closer to saying. Look, I I, I can't. Because Rennie hasn't even been like a international assistant coach, has he? Quite literally zero, zero um, international experience. Yeah, but uh, you know from employing people, mate, experience is important. Um, cultural fit is has got to, especially after what we've just been through. Um, yeah. And I listened to the pod from last week, and Reg could barely conceal his glee that Checker was gone um, or about to go, <laughs> um, even though acknowledging that. This is not a good place for us, and I just think, you know, some of these some of these assumptions have to be have to be muted or at least you know toned down a little in terms of what can we do, what can we afford, and how are we going to bring that top end into you know a good partnership with the the, the youth stuff that's coming through as you discussed last week. You know, where's it going to fit with the provinces? How are we going to actually? build this up and it's at all levels it's below super level it's beyond that so we we need a, a good coach but we need someone who's gonna really take a bull by the horns on this yeah look i, I think what i guess the point i make about that experience in an international squad is because that's just where it gets different um mm. and who you have to select with the time you have with the teams the different level of tactical preparation, all those things. Anyone you I've ever heard talk about this just says it's just such a different ball game. Yeah. And being international coach is very different from being the coach of any other 
any other place. And I guess that's why they cycle people through being an assistant coach, why the All Blacks do it, why most other people do it is because you need to get an understanding of what that setup looks like so that if you get a job at the big gig, you're not learning on the job because you, you won't, you know, no one wants to waste a, a World Cup cycle with someone who's kind of figuring it out. So that's why I'm, you know, look, there's even go with the fact that Dave Rennie's some amazing super rugby coach. Um, I'm still not convinced that makes him um, the guy to run um, the big gig if you haven't seen. I mean, that's why for me, like if Jamie Joseph was kicking around totally, I think he's kicking, I think he's ticking boxes there because he's just got an idea of what that takes. And obviously, and then not only that, he's proved it with Japan, right? Um, in this in this World Cup, it's been amazing. Rightio. Um, well, that's us on the big questions tonight. I think um, the one little public service announcement we've got is um, being as West Coast focused as we are is about the um, NRC. Fitzy, did you want to do a little PSA on that one? Yeah, look, I, I sat down and watched... Uh, I will admit I didn't watch the whole game because I was flicking around between that and uh, the Mitre 10 Cup from New Zealand. But, uh, you know, glad I wasn't out there in 28-degree conditions. Uh, but it was clear that, you know, the Western Force are a step up from, from – and having not watched a lot of NRC this year because go Rams. Um, having not watched a lot of it, oh, they were a step up on everyone and even littered with super players – um, the the cohesion for the force um, over the Vikings was was pretty comprehensive, and the scoreline reflects that. So um, you know, hot conditions, beautiful sunny day, um, front of the home crowd, and well supported. And look, rugby in the West is going great, guns. Um, and again, this is another uh, relationship we have to look at at not mending, but I guess enhancing and and making part of the, the family, the rugby family. Yeah, good to see. Um, okay, any other any other round of rounds, Hugh? Is that all you got? No, World Cup final coming up. Um, <laughs> it's I've got a I've got a, a friend's party, and I'm not sure there's going to be a TV on, but um. What the it, hell? It, it, yeah, but um, I don't know. Does it have the? Does this final have the sense of occasion that ones have in the past? I don't know if it does. I don't know if I'm particularly inspired by either of these two teams. Um, but uh, eight o'clock kickoff on Saturday night. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'll I'll try and watch it live. But uh, yeah, just just ask them for their Wi-Fi and watch it on Ko or, or whatever. Yeah, it's not a bad point actually. Yeah, sit in the corner and and just have my phone out. Yeah. Yeah. It is Saturday night. Is, is it is it third fourth on Friday? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, obviously, I, everyone will be lined up to watch that. Can I say, uh, as a broader point over the Rugby World Cup, sense of occasion, you're right, maybe it's maybe it's not there because we're kind of looking at New Zealand and, and we were involved in the last one and it was, it, it was you know, are they going to go back-to-back for the first time or we're going to win? Great. Um, this one, I think we're probably a little disillusioned at this point, but also... I think it's good that we're not going to have a, an opportunity for a three-peat for New Zealand. And I'm not saying that to put New Zealand down. I just think for the broader global game, them dominating again may not be the best thing for world rugby. Yeah, well, it's de- that's a hoodoo has definitely been broken. Yeah. All right, lads, um, it's been good. Thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for everybody else for tuning in. Um, and uh, look, let's hope that we're inspired enough to come back and rail on about what an amazing World Cup final uh, that was. All right. Eels off the top. Larkham. 
Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.